we begin with prayer. Father, on our hearts tonight is a deep desire to know You. A deep desire to, to sense at all times Your love and, and Your faithfulness that You never leave us, never will You forsake us. And, and for that not to just be a fact that we live with, it forms uh, the foundation of our faith, but that it also, Father, uh, becomes uh, a, an, an emotional response to Your presence. That we're just overcome by, by the greatness of these truths that John writes about. That, that we're overwhelmed with, with a sense of well-being and of excitement and enthusiasm and confidence and strength in this life because of these truths that John has written. It's our prayer with all of our heart, Father, tonight that You will help us with eyes that see and ears that hear to, to, to truly hear and, and, and to see and to perceive in such a way that everything that we are and everything that we possess and think and feel in this life turns toward You. And that we, we strive with all of our might Father, to, to, to recognize this, this one singular truth that we are Your children. To this end, we pray for the blessing tonight of understanding. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that I mentioned uh, the last time that we talked about First John, which was two weeks ago, was that this phrase found in chapter 3, verse 1, how how great is the love of the Father that He has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That when, when you read this in, in the original language and, and even in, in our English translations, we're helped by the, by the exclamation point uh, there at the end, that this is an outburst by John. He is writing, and there is this this uh, emotion that comes over him, and this is an, an enthusiastic outburst about a life-changing fact for John. Now, m maybe we, we can put this in a little bit of a context. There, there are s some stories uh, about John that uh, Eusebius, a uh, church historian, has written about. He writes at this particular story that there were a lot of witnesses that, uh, that knew this story to be true. And uh, it's, it's about John after he has come off the island of Patmos, uh, after the death of Domitian. He is an old man, a, a very old man. And uh, he is traveling around to churches in and around Ephesus and around Asia Minor. And there is a young man that is converted by his teaching and preaching with one of these churches that, that he's visiting. And John becomes very fond of this young man. And upon leaving, he commits this young man to the elder for the church in that region. And after, you know, to continue the discipleship. And after some time has passed, John returns to the church and he wants to know about the young man. And he's told by the elder that the young man is dead. And John is shocked and he goes, dead? What manner of death? And the elder replies, he's dead to God. That this young man, as the story unfolds, has fallen back into some bad relationships, some bad friendships that he had before being converted, and that he has become a part of a gang that is out in the country, a band of robbers and a band of thieves, 
And according to this, this elder, you know, he is now dead to God. And John rebukes this elder and calls for a horse and a guide to take him to the place where the young man is. And while he's traveling through this region of hills, John is captured, which, you know, he's not fearful of this. This is his intent. And because he's been captured by the gang, he is taken to their hideout, and as, which is what he wanted all the time. And as he is uh, being taken up, this young man that he had converted, that he has come to find, sees him. And even though he's heavily armed, and he's surrounded by all of these cohorts, he takes off running from John. And John, as Eusebius, te Eusebius tells it, is an old man, but he jumps off of the horse and he takes off after the, the young man, shouting after him, Why do you fly, my son, for me, your father, your defenseless, aged father? Have compassion on me, my son. Fear not, for you still have the hope of life. I will intercede with Christ for you, should it be necessary. I will cheerfully suffer death for you as Christ has died for us. I will trade my life for yours, but stay. Believe Christ has sent me. And the, and the young man stops, and, and he turns around, and uh, he and John embrace, and, and, the, and the young man is restored to Christ. Now, there are lots of stories like this. Uh, the, the stories of, of what happened to the, to the apostles after, after the death of Jesus and they went into all of the world to preach the gospel. There are stories of, of the early martyrs and the early Christians and the hardships that they suffered in all of the cities of the Roman Empire. And the, and the question I, I want to ask, especially in context of John's life, is where do you get the guts to do this, this kind of thing? Where do, you, where do you get the kind of courage and the kind of bravery to be able to take your life into your own hands and at, 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 at the danger or the risk of, of it costing you something great are able to do these kinds of kingdom things? Well, First John chapter 1 is, is where you find it. John says, you can have fellowship with God. You can have fellowship with God. The kind of fellowship that you have with one another, the kind of personal interaction that you have with other people in the church is the kind of experience of, of fellowship that you can have with God. It's a transforming kind of fellowship that you can know that you know God and that God knows you, that you can have this complete, unassailable joy in your life. And that kind of joy, that kind of complete joy gives you a poise in life and a buoyancy in life that regardless of what comes at you as a tidal wave, you can handle it. In fact, not only handle it, you can even flourish and thrive. When you have those things that John talks about, you can face anything that life throws at you. And I mean, John is an old man at the time of the writing of this letter, and he knows, and he knows that bad things can happen to you in this life. But he also knows that knowing God, that really knowing God, knowing that you know God is more than just a matter of mechanics. As he writes in chapter 2, verse 29, he says, I, If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been what? Has been what? Born of Him. You have been born of God. And this is where John begins to emote. John gets emotional right here. He begins to get excited. He begins to get emotional and he writes, Behold, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us 
that we should be called children of God. And then it's redundant. He says, and that is what we are. Notice that, the, again, the NIV puts an ex- exclamation point at the end of the verse. But quite frankly, what's happening here theologically, and in, I think John's mind deserves more than just an exclamation point. And I want to spend the rest of our time tonight just on this one verse, beginning with this thought, the, the truth that is in the outburst. Not the truth of the outburst. I mean, he's, he is emotional. But there's a truth in the outburst. The fact that there is an outburst tells us a great deal about truly knowing God. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but but let me ask you about this word lavish for just a minute. The way that he uses the word lavish, that he lavishes this love on, does that strike anybody as, as odd? He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us in the old King James, that we should be called the sons of God. In modern language, it's lavishing. In the old King James, it's bestowing. It's odd phrasing. I mean, when I say I want to love somebody, I just say I, want to, I, I love you. I, I say to, to my children, I love you. I say to Ellen, I love you. I don't say to Ellen, I bestow on thee my love. But the only time that I can really think of an experience in life when this really happens is in marriage. And that's in that ceremony when, when someone says before all of the witnesses of friends and, and acquaintances and family, they say it before the earth and they say it before heaven that they are bestowing their love exclusively, they're placing their love exclusively on this particular person in front of him, on that someone. And by doing that, it completely changes that person forever. And to crystallize it even a little bit more by drilling down some, there is a point that you cross in that ceremony when you're bestowing everything, I mean everything, on another person. And from that point on, it is a different relationship. The same is true in Christianity. There's this point you cross. There's a line that you cross, and God bestows. He lavishes His love on your life. And when you think about that, it just changes everything. Now, when does that happen? Well, according to John, and I think it's because of the repetition, the redundancy, it happens when you realize that He has made you through faith and the cross and grace and washing your sins away and confession and repentance that you have become not just adopted, but you have become a child of God. That's the redemption. I mean, the the repetition. He writes that we should become the children of God. And that's what we are. It's more than just mere acceptance. It's the experience of knowing that we're really, really, really deep down in the reality, the truest, densest reality of existence, that God is our Father and we're His children. I mean, we talk a lot about adoption, and it is true that part of the language of the Bible, the metaphor of the Bible, of our our connecting through conversion to God is adoption, but that's legal status. It also talks about the fact that we have the right through believing in Jesus to become the children, the sons and the daughters of God because we are born of Him. It's a moment when our status is changed and we're revolutionized by all of this love that is bestowed on us. That's the truth that is in that outburst. And because John is thinking about the fact that somebody like him, that at one one time had this nickname, the Sons of Thunder, probably because he liked to fight. That he could actually, somebody like that could be loved by God. But now there's also the fact of the outburst. The fact that he does get emotional. 
That truth that we are the children of God on whom God has bestowed His love is what causes John to go crazy on the subject. It is an emotion. It is emotional. And in three, one, chapter 3, verse 1, right before our eyes, John is experiencing the truth of what it means to be a child of God. John is sitting and he's writing this letter. There's probably maybe candlelight or sunlight coming through and he's, he's writing this letter to people that he loves to people that he, he thinks of as, as, as brothers and sisters, as his own children. And he's writing about knowing God. And then it dawns on him that he, he himself knows the creator of the universe. And he writes, you know, the one that does right is born of God. It hits him. Born of him. Behold, look at it. Look at this. Behold, do you understand what I'm writing to you? That God is bestowing, lavishing, placing His love on us that we should be His children. That's what we are. So what's going on inside of John? Well, the truth of the mind has overflowed and spilled into the rest of his being. The truth, the whole truth about God and Christ has made his rationality and his cognitive faculties just go crazy. And now it's just bubbling out in ecstasy and joyful excitement. It's one of those truths that that John is not going to be able to contain in his mind. And it's percolating out of his mind, into his heart, and out into his fingertips and his emotions and and his will. And he's saying, can you see this? And that's what he's experiencing. He's experiencing the fact that God has lavished His love on us in order that we might become His kids, His children, His family. You know, you know, and and, and this is sad, everyone who loses a really good parent, whether through you know, you know the reality of that loss or maybe pending or uh, you know just pondering the importance of the you know when when you lose a good parent you lose more than just a good parent you lose more than than just somebody that that taught you how to take care of yourself and and you're losing more than than someone who who, who taught you maybe how to read and 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 cooked for you and 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 taught you about right and wrong you're you're losing uh and and we don't really realize this until we think it but we're we're losing the person who loves us unconditionally in this life which is no small thing in a world like this the place where you can always go the person that will always listen to you the person that regardless of what you have done will always 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 love you the person that thinks about you constantly, the person that, that when you called, you just hear it in the voice that they're brightened, the, the person that, that when you walk through that door, all of the great feelings that are part of the, the comfort and the security and, 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 the, and, the, and the love and, and, and the energy of that love and the way that it's been practiced and, and a million experiences, all of that comes flooding. And when you lose somebody like that, lose somebody that loves you unconditionally, it's no small thing in the world. They lose a person who gives you everything and smiles on you and you're comfortable in their presence because you're not merely accepted. You're not just merely liked. You're, you're loved and accepted 
and, and, and embraced as their kid, their child. And, and it's that kind of thinking, that kind of relationship that John, you know, that's what we are to God. And as John writes about it, he begins to see that. Through deep contemplation and meditation of the great and, and, and wonderful doctrines of God. And you know what it becomes? It becomes like lightning through a lightning rod for him. That the creator of the universe who is, who is concerned about everything, Every, that holds every atom together by His Word. That, that is, whose Word is so powerful that He has not just created creation, but He's created ages of creation. And that being knows who John is and treats John like a favored son. And he says, behold how great that love. The analysis has invaded all of his affections. And that knowing about God, that God is the Creator and Genesis and all of this, that knowing for John is no longer just knowing, it's beholding and seeing. We are children of God is no longer a fact that is detached from the heart. And if that's true, and it is, then why worry about anything in this life, truly? I mean, there's going to be low-grade worry. And there'll be low-grade fear. But when you know you're the child of God, it doesn't defeat you. It doesn't destroy you. You know, one of the most dangerous things we can do in the Christian faith is to suppress the emotions of joy that come from deep, long hard pondering and, and, and profound contemplating of the doctrines of the truths of God. These truths are so great that they cannot be contained in the mind, but they overflow into the heart and into our fingertips as complete joy. I, let me give you an illustration of it this way. You, you know, when, when Jesse was, was a little girl, we would take all of these long walks together. And, and she knew that, that her dad loved her without a shadow of a doubt. She was the apple of my eye. I would just look at her, and when she was a baby, I would hold her while she was sleeping, and there was just something spiritual in holding a sleeping baby. And she just knew it. And her mom, too. She knew her mom and dad just loved her beyond their own lives. And we'd be walking along and she'd be walking. I'd have to take short steps and she's maintaining these long strides. And she would reach up and she would hold my hand as we walked. And then I would pick her up and hold her. And I'd say, Jesse, you just don't know how much I love you. Your dad loves you more than he loves his own life. Now here's the thing. Did I tell her anything new? Did I tell her anything she didn't know? Not a thing. But the experience of it was different as I held her. That's the thing that changed. It wasn't the truth. The truth did not change. What changed was her experience of that truth. The truth of how much her father adored her. You know what that truth became for her in that moment? I'm holding her and I'm saying, Jessica, my love for her became radioactive for her. A few months ago, 
right down here on the front row. I had the, the same kind of experience with, with, with God. We're in church, and you know it wasn't a, a, a personal devotional time, but we, we were in worship, and we were singing. And I'm down here on the front row, and you know, you see me, I'm walking back and forth. Sometimes that means I'm keeping time. Sometimes it means I'm thinking about what I'm going to say when I get up there. And we came to this line in the hymns, In Christ Alone. The line was, Sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am His, and He is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And the truth of that verse just bubbled up inside of me, that I am His and He is mine, bought with that blood, so that sin's grip was lost. That truth bubbled up inside of me and my eyes flooded all of a sudden, I mean, just with tears. How many times have we seen Jeff up here leading singing and all of us, I mean, he's, leading, he's thinking about time and, and notes and he's, you know, he's not, he has a job that's different from mine. He has to actually think about, you know, some precision in terms of notes. I just sing. He's leading. And how many times have we been singing and all of a sudden seen get choked up? The reality bubbles up. I remember Ed Womack, an elder at this church in Holly, Texas, where I was a youth minister back in 1982. Rock, solid rock of the community. Principal, principal of the school in Holly, the, the, the elementary school. Solid elder in the church. A leader, if there was ever a leader. Rock jaw, big shoulders, big man. Lived out on a ranch. Taking care of people in the community. I'll never forget. Here's this, this, this Christian giant. And we're singing that old hymn. He could have called 10,000 angels. And all of a sudden the truth that Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but He didn't. Because He loved them. And all of a sudden, I just see the tears coming down Ed Womack's face. Truth bubbling up. Can't be contained inside of the head. It's, you never forget. So what is the life context for this kind of thing to happen, this kind of outburst? Well, remember that John has given us three tests. You obey God. You love the brothers. You know the gospel, right? You, you, you confess that Jesus has, has come in the flesh. Think about that first test of, of, of being obedient to God's commands. You know, if you have a disobedient heart and you're not really a disciple of Jesus, you're not really following in His footsteps, First John chapter 2, verse 6, if uh, all those that are in Him must walk as Jesus walked, if you're not obedient to those commands, if you're not being obedient to God, but there's rebellion in your heart and you're disobedient to those commands and there's sin in your life, that you're not dealing with and you're acting flippantly and lackadaisically with, listen, you're not going to get this. It's not going to happen. The same is true about, about loving the brothers. You have fellowship with, with people in the church. There's something that happens when we're all singing together these kinds of songs. We're, we're loving the church. There's the shared life of fellowship. You're encouraging your fellow disciples. You're building them up. You're, you're, you're praying for them. But... Instead, if you live in isolation and you're okay with dysfunction in your relationships, listen, you're never going to experience this. 
Or think about, uh, about the, the, the experience of the gospel and the, and the great doctrines of God's grace and, and what He has done for us in Christ. The same is true with the, the experience of the gospel. If you don't believe certain things, if you, if you don't believe that Christ came in the flesh, if you don't believe that He's the atoning sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world, if you don't believe that He is, he is the one that makes that salvation complete, by living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we should have died, then it's not going to happen for you. But not only is it this emotion, but it's also a mark of knowing God. Like John here in 1 John, you see the fact of, of just like John here, you, you see the fact of God's loving you as a miracle. John says, behold, and then what does he say? How great how great! The old King Jimmy, what manner of love! You know, there's a little funny thing happening here in, it's in the original language. That word translated as great in the NIV, what manner in the King James Version, is literally what country. It's, a, it's an idiom. You know what an idiom is. It's a, something that makes sense in your own country, but when you try to say it in another country, it doesn't make sense at all. I remember the first time that uh, I was in Brazil, and I said... Uh, Wow, it's raining cats and dogs outside. And they're looking out the window like, where in the world are the dogs and the cats coming from? They didn't have a clue as to what I meant. So John uses the At one time I was in South Africa and I said, hey, we'll get to that in a minute, but put it on the back burner. There, <laughs> something on fire? You know, they had absolutely no clue. They raised their hand and said, what does it mean? In this really nice British accent, what does it mean? Put on the back burner, you know. That's what this is. And what John is, is writing is what country, what nation, the word potapen, what country the love the Father has given us. It's like saying in our own language, from what planet did this love come from? It's an idiom. He's saying how unreal, how unearthly, how out of this world, how bigger than the universe is this love that Christ has, that God has for us in Christ. You know, I've, I've talked to you about the old Fisher King movie that, that came out back in the 90s with, with Robin Williams and um, Amanda Plummer. You, you know, Amanda Plummer's this character in the movie. She's really awkward. Nobody ever really wants to date her. Robin Williams kind of got his own baggage. But he, he's, he's fallen in love with the Amanda Plummer uh, character and they go out on a date and as they end the date she knows what's going to happen it's what you know the thing that happens at, at the end of every date is going to happen now so to cut to the chase she just comes to the door she says goodbye and she says kind of nice knowing you and i know that we'll never go out ever again and robin williams goes I, what do you mean i had a great time what do you mean you can never see me again and she goes don't you get it i'm clumsy and i'm awkward and she begins to talk about all of the bad things that she sees in herself and, you know, we, we get down on Hollywood. But sometimes Hollywood gets it right. And Robin Williams says, I know that. I've been watching you for a long time. You're the one that doesn't get it. I know you're clumsy. I know you don't have any friends. I know you're down on yourself. And he goes on and, and repeats a list that he knows all of these things that she's mentioned. But he says, I know all of this, and I still love you. And she's taken back, and she says, are you for real? 
transformed. And that happens in all marriages. I know in my head that Ellen loves me. That's a fact. She tells me all the time. She told me on our wedding day. She's told me a million times since then. But then there are the times when the reality of her love becomes an emotion that I can't believe, even after 30 years of marriage, that somebody like her picks somebody like me. I mean, it's a great mystery to you too. But I live with that mystery. I can't believe that it's true. And that's what John is experiencing when he thinks about the love of God. There's this acid test here that we'll go over very quickly and then we're done. You know, there's a big difference between just going through the mechanics and, and, and being a person where the will and the, you know, and the heart, the mind and the heart have been merged together. There's a huge difference between being a disciple and being a moral person. A moral person is going to live their life, you know, just say no. Uh, deny yourself pleasure. Do a lot of good works and, and kind of grit it out. And what the moralist is doing, may, they may not admit it, but what they're doing in reality is they're putting God in their debt. They say, you know, I've worked so hard. I don't deserve the bad thing that's happening in my life. But because this bad thing is happening, God must not be really the kind of God that I think He is. Therefore, Christianity does not work. What good is all of my obedience? But on the other hand, a, a, a Christian, child of God, born of Him, know they're in God's debt. And this spirit of, of wonder permeates all of their life. All of their life. You know, a person that, you know, all of us, you know, we, we have jobs, and, you know, a certain day of the week, at least in the old days, now you get it, you know, in your, in your direct deposit. But I can remember the day when you would go into the back room and there's a manager, he would hand you a check. And you'd been working 40 hours a week for two weeks, hand you that check. I never once in my life said, Behold, you have paid me. Are you for real? I never said that. Because nobody does that, right? Because we worked for it. I mean, what we say is, of course you paid me. I wish you'd pay me a little bit more. But the Christian lives with the spirit of wonder, with the miracle that we are God's children even when things go bad and it hurts and it's tragic and we cry and we weep and we go through those dark times, but we're not undone. And we don't come, become untethered to, to, the, to the post that is at the center of our life, which is God. Because there is nothing, sword or famine or principalities or any of that, death, that separates us from what? The love of the Father. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. I just think we need to praise God. I think we need to think about these words, and I think that we need it to bubble up inside of us and come out as praise to Him. And while we're doing that, there are going to be a couple of shepherds down here, and if there's any way that our church can minister to you tonight, our shepherds are ready to receive you. Let's stand and Jeff, lead us in singing.